Welcome to Cup of Cubby Blue. Your baseball is being played in a pandemic home for Cubs news, updates, and banter. We're the official podcast of Lee Cubby Blue, which is part of the SB Nation family of team sites. And you can find us on Apple, Google, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts by searching for Bleed Cubby Blue. You can also find us on our Twitter account at Cup of Cubby Blue. My name is Sarah Sanchez, and I write about the first place Chicago Cubs and social media nights for Bleed Cubby Blue. Hi, guys. Andy Cruz Vanasek, and I just want to take this moment to wish Ryan Sandberg a happy birthday. Today is his birthday, and it's going to be a good day of baseball. I am so excited about the team that we get to cheer for lately. Yeah, they've been really good. It, has anything in, in particular jumped out at you before we just jump into looking back at this Indian series? Oh, where do I begin, Sarah? Where do I begin? Um, I would like to say that a couple things from the last podcast that I mentioned kind of half joking, but actually came true. Um, one of which was the Milwaukee St. Louis series, which they kind of took care of each other because now the Reds are in second place. And it went exactly how I said it would. It went Milwaukee, St. Louis, Milwaukee, St. Louis, Milwaukee. And I believe wholeheartedly that Javi Baez is back. But we will discuss that, I'm sure, a little bit later. Uh, I, <laughs> I'm not going to go that far. I'm glad that you have that level of optimism. I think that, um, some of the underlying numbers for the last two weeks are still a little bit suspect, but he's certainly doing El Mago things, which I, I'm glad to see El Mago make a return. Um, Javi is a much more fun player when he's got a little bit of swag and is doing his thing. Um, but let's jump right into looking back at this Cleveland series. So the Cubs won both of their games against the Indians. The second win was really just like extra innings, walk-off stuff. It was great. I thought this team looked really solid in these games, and I was excited because it looked like they were playing like it's late September, like they're a first place team and like they want to be on a good run come October. What did you think, Andy? Yeah, it definitely was um, kind of refreshing to see the the intensity that we saw from them and kind of the, the approach that we saw. It, it felt like September baseball. I mean, legitimate September after a full season baseball. Like these guys had just all of a sudden decided okay, you know, this now is the time. So yeah, I mean, it, it felt really good. It feels good going into this series against Minnesota and, and, and heading, you know, ending off the season. I kind of feel like we're going to do it with a bang and, and, you know, maybe take a big jump of momentum into the playoffs, which, you know, is all fine by me. Yeah, fine by me too. Before we get into the big jump of play, uh, playoff momentum, I ju- I don't know if those words made sense together. I think I like just mixed a metaphor there. But we're just gonna leave it. It's fine. Um, I was really sort of bummed after Lester's last start, which look, it it wasn't great. He was having some control problems and he got pulled kind of early. But I, I don't think it had occurred to me that that might actually be his last start at Wrigley Field. So John Lester's contract has an option for 2021. That option is $25 million, and he just really doesn't look like a $25 million pitcher right now. He didn't hit any of the benchmarks in that contract, obviously, because the contract was written with a full season in mind, not a prorated season in mind. So that was always going to be difficult. It does have a $10 million buyout on it, and I have to imagine 
that John Lester's agent and Theo can sit down and figure out some way to do that $10 million buyout and then tack on like two to $4 million for one season. So John Lester can come back in 2021. The fans can give him the send off he deserves. And frankly, like I just really don't think the Cubs are going to get that much better of a younger pitcher for $12 million AAV. I don't know, Andy, what do you think about all this Lester stuff? I'm so sad. (laughs) I mean, okay, listen, I am kind of glad that we didn't think of this beforehand because you know, that evening, which I'm sure we'll talk about too, it was um, a virtual social media night and which was super fun and everybody was in great spirits. And it was really nice to see some of our friends that we essentially only get to see once a year at this night. And I think had we all kind of known about this or like thought about it or even mentioned it, I think that would have really put a damper on the evening because I was pretty sad when I started reading quotes and stuff from after the game. You know, it just like you said, it just had not even dawned on me that that was what was happening. And, you know, I kind of scratched my head a little bit when he got pulled early and you could definitely see that there was some control issue there. But I also feel like he's not typically somebody that lets like emotions get in the way. But I think that night really got to him. And he even said there was a lot on his mind and there was a lot going on. And, um, you know, he really wanted to go out the way that he wanted to go out. And he wasn't able to do that because, you know, he he walked off the field to an empty stadium. And that's really hard to swallow. And I kind of get a lump in my throat even just thinking about it. But hopefully they can figure out a way to make it so that everybody can do it the right way you know, and, and maybe even keep him around for one more season. Cause I, I just think you kind of have to, I mean, he's just been so instrumental in this whole, you know, shift of, of where the Cubs are now. And I, I think that's the least they can do to show him what he means to this organization. Right. Absolutely. I mean, I just also think that if you're, if you're looking ahead to the 2021 rotation, I really don't want to get too far ahead of myself here. Nobody knows what baseball is going to look like in 2021. Nobody knows how the Cubs are going to finish out 2020. I mean, we can talk a little bit about the free agent market and who might be available and what the Cubs might be able to afford and some other things. But we have all offseason to do that. So I'd much rather talk about the baseball that is actually being played right now. But but my short version is you've already got Darvish, you've already got Hendricks, and you've already got Mills, who I think has earned himself a spot in the 2021 rotation. So the question is, who are those last two spots? And I think that John Lester in that one of either that four or five spot makes a ton of sense keeping his presence around and really giving him the send off he deserves. And then you can kind of like look to the market for the uh, the last starter in your rotation. You can see what happens with Alzale in the offseason. You can look at maybe trying to stretch out a Kyle Ryan and see if he's ready to make the jump to the rotation. Those sort of seem like the options to me. Yeah, I mean, however you round it out, it just seems like it would make sense to keep him around as a five or even a four. You know, he's he's shown some definite grit this season. I mean, he's always been somebody that's been considered a workhorse in this rotation. You know, even when he was at the top pitching as your opening day starter a couple years, a couple seasons, you know, he's just somebody that's going to give you everything that he has left in the tank. And I honestly don't think that tank is all the way, you know, done. I think that he he wholeheartedly believes he could come back and pitch another season at a five spot for the Chicago Cubs. And, you know, from what I've seen, I I agree with him. I agree with that too. It does actually also really give you an idea of the sense of urgency. This team feels that this might be their last shot to win again as a group of that core 
from 2016. And Anthony Rizzo talked about that a little bit at the start of the season. I mean, I sort of see it in the way they're playing both good and bad. Like they, they seem like they've been playing tight at times. They do not feel that way right now. The four game winning streak has been a ton of fun. A lot of that fun and that energy has come from Javier Baez. Andy, you said that he is back. I am willing to concede that he's like returned to super fun chaos generating Javi. Although I'd like to see him put some more balls in play. What did you mean when you said Javi was back? So, okay, yeah, and obviously you are the numbers person of this duo, and I am not. I am more of a of the eye test, more of what I am watching. And numbers, yeah, it's going to take him a while to get to a typical hobby season, and we don't have a while. So it's this season is going to look like, on paper, not a typical hobby season. However, his play and his, um, what do I want to say? I don't know the right word to explain him. He's very... Um, dynamic and he's very, um, he has very good instincts. I, I don't know the right word. It'll come to me, but he, I feel like that part of him and that part of his game that kind of excels him beyond like the level of human play is back. You know what I mean? Like he's really like, he's showing that he can make things happen on the base pass, which we've been saying all season, he can do that if he has the opportunity to get on base, which was extremely lacking for a while. So now that he's been getting on base, he's showing that he can make things happen. I mean, he scored on a strikeout steal from first. He scored a run. Um, now that's not going to happen every time, but when you're running in a crazy situation like that, like most people would stop and be like, yeah, I'll take my two bases, but not have you bias. He's like, I'm going to force you to make a picture perfect play because that's the only way you're throwing me out at home and when he does that he applies so much pressure to defenses they make mistakes and that's why things happen for him and I think that side of him is so important to this team and what can happen on the field on either side of the ball and I think it's just so important to realize and see that he is starting to to kind of take shape of that again and this is the perfect time if you ask me for him to do that because we're so close to playoffs and you definitely want to see him carry that same intensity, that, that same you know, ability into playoffs and, and continue to make things happen against teams that are going to be very good teams. Oh, for sure. I mean, I, I love the chaos generation part of Javi Baez. It's one of my favorite things about watching him as a player. I think I, I'm more cautious just because I, I like every – Time before we record one of these episodes, I run the Cubs like last two week offensive numbers, not because I think two weeks is a significant sample size to be able to judge a player's performance, but because it's a good way to identify trends, right? Like it tells me, hey, this person's been really hot for the last two weeks, get the bat in their hand. This person has been sort of cool for the last two weeks. Maybe they need to like tweak some things. Uh, and in the case of Javi, Javier Baez, he has improved. Absolutely. From the last time we ran those numbers a few days ago, but his improved WRC plus is 67, which is still like 33% below league average and nowhere close to the 120, 130 WRC plus we're used to seeing him put up over an entire season. So I think that he needs to get that strikeout rate down a little bit. It's still up over 30, but it has been nice to see him playing the brand of baseball that we all know and love Javier Baez for. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. And, you know, like I said, I, I don't, 
I know the numbers are important and I know that they reflect the, the longevity of the player this season. And, you know, that's kind of tongue in cheek because obviously there's, this is not a very long season, but I think it's also important that, you know, I kind of felt like for a while with him, it, things were just getting very stale. Like you just felt it was like ho-hum every game. It, you know, he was 0 for 4, 0 for 5, 0 for 3. And it was like, man, you know, it, it, <laughs> is, is Javi okay? Like what's going on? So I think to, just to be able to get excited about his play, um, even just a little bit, I just, it, I think even you can see it in him that it's starting to bring out, you know, that side of him that we know is there. And it's not just ho-hum anymore. Like, we're playing for playoffs right now. And if they're handing out trophies, we want one, right? So let's go ahead and 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 do what we need to do. And I kind of feel like he's stepped that up a notch. And he's like, not just, you know, going through the motions anymore, which is good to see. Because, you know, it's alarming when you see somebody as energetic and dynamic as a Javi Baez kind of go game game in, game out without doing anything special. So hopefully we'll continue to see that play from him and maybe his numbers can even, you know, go up more. You like to see him have some better at bats, obviously not swing at some really ridiculous stuff because we've seen that quite a bit. But again, I think, you know, I kind of spoke about this our last podcast. When you start to see him do things really well on one side of the ball, it carries over to the other. And I kind of feel like that's where we're at. It's just not, it hasn't been enough time to really reflect in the numbers. So hopefully he has that opportunity and he's able to, to keep on what he's doing. Uh, as Andy alluded to, the NL the Cubs padded their lead in the NL Central with their wins over the Indians. They have a five and a half game lead now over the Reds, who are in second. The Cardinals are 22 and 24 in third. If the playoffs started today, which Honestly, like, I don't even know how useful this exercise is because the, who the Cubs would play changes almost every day because this race is super tight. Like, the Cubs are only in the second seed by one game over the Braves. That five through eight seed really just, like, shuffles almost every day. So, like, I don't know how useful this exercise is. But if the playoffs started today, the Cubs would be the two seed they would play the Giants. I mean, who had the Giants making it to the playoffs at all? And they're not even, they're not even the most shocking team in the playoffs. Hello, Miami. What is going on with the Marlins? <laughs> Did I hear a rumor that they're in the playoffs? <laughs> I, I mean, they're not in, but the, like, it kind of looks like they're going to be in and I'm so confused. I am like, I don't even know what to say. Like, I'm actually tearing up a little bit. Like, this is just... I mean, but we said, in all fairness, and I know anybody that halfway knows anything about baseball said this too, but we said at the beginning of the season, this is going to be one of those seasons where a lot of different strange things are going to happen. I mean, what, we saw San Diego go on a four-game tear where they hit four Grand Slams in a row. Like, you've just seen some really crazy things this season. And I'm by far not complaining because, you know, it just adds to – to, you know, what we have in our, our baseball, baseball memories. But I think it's just so interesting that it's actually going to happen where there's a lot of unusual teams making playoffs, which is good for baseball. Don't get me wrong. It's good to engage markets that have not been in playoffs year in, year out. I mean, hello, White Sox made the playoffs this year for the first time since 2008. That's engaging a whole other half of Chicago or not. I, I mean, probably not half, but you know what I mean? Engaging another fan base in Chicago. So uh, yeah, I mean, <laughs> definitely did not have the Giants on my radar. 
Um, definitely did not have Miami, but again, I mean, it's just, it's, I think it's fun. I think it's going to be really interesting. And I'm also going to be extremely pissed if we lose to somebody like Miami in the playoffs. <laughs> Don't even get me started. We're, <laughs> we're not losing playoff series to the Marlins ever again. Um, the, the ALNL differences are kind of interesting. And I think a lot of this has to do with, well, one, I think there's more parity in the NL, i.e. the teams and the divisions are closer to each other. So it's just a lot harder to rack up tons of wins over bad teams. The second thing is I think that the pitching in the NL has been a lot stronger this year, particularly in the NL Central where you have Darvish, Bauer, Sunny Grave, a lot of people, Jack Flaherty, a lot of really solid pitchers who have been holding the line down. But one of the interesting things that jumped out at me as I was sort of looking at these records and brackets and absolutely congrats to the White Sox on clinching a playoff spot. Uh, I think they were the first team to clinch. They are in first place in the AL standings right now at 33 and 17. If the playoffs started today, they would play the eighth seeded Blue Jays. But the thing that really jumps out at me here is that in the AL, every team who would make the playoffs is over 500. So you've got the White Sox leading the way at 33 and 17, but the Blue Jays in that eighth seed are 26 and 23. That's still a 531 winning percentage. In the NL, there are only five teams that have a winning percentage over 500. So the Dodgers, Cubs, Braves, Padres, and yes, the Marlins all have winning percentages <laughs> over 500. After that, it's a bunch of like clustering in that 500 range where today those spots happen to go to the Reds, Giants, and Phillies, but you could see the Cardinals, Brewers, Mets, Rockies, any of those teams could like just win two or three games and get themselves to 500 and all of a sudden be a playoff team. It's sort of weird. Yeah, it definitely is interesting to look at um, comparing the the records American League to National League. And I think, you know, I kind of feel like the American League, like the good teams are really good. And the bad teams are really bad. Like, I feel like it's very lopsided. Whereas National League, I feel like it's more evenly distributed. And you can kind of see that looking towards the middle of the of the records of, of all of the National League teams. It's just going to be an absolute race down to the finish for those last two wild card spots, I think. I think you're going to see a bunch of teams jump around in those two spots before it even ends. Um, for National League. And I mean, I honestly, at this point in time, I'm not even comfortable guessing who, who ends up in those spots because it just like, you know, we saw, like I said, Milwaukee and St. Louis kind of take care of each other. Um, I, I believe they have more games against each other the last series of the season. Um, Cincinnati, I believe, has a pretty easy schedule from here on out. So yeah, I mean, it's just it's just going to be a complete toss up for those last couple spots. And, and like I said, this is fun. Like to not know and to have eight spots. It's to me, this is fun and exciting and new. And you see a lot of different teams in listed here and, and you're going to see a lot of different playoff baseball. And, you know, the thing that worries me and I, you know, I've said this from the beginning of this season is that we've not seen teams from any other division. It's been us in the ALNL, AL Central and NL Central, and that's it. And like, so we've not seen anybody from the East Coast, anybody from the West Coast. The and these teams are good teams. I mean, there, there's no, there's no slouches in this lineup here. So, yeah, it, it'll be a little, 
it'll be a little alarming. Now, not to say that some of the pitching that we've faced in our division has not gotten us prepared for just about anything because it, it completely has. The other thing that, that we need to remember is that we only play one AL team. Like we'll, we will only see one AL team. So there's no need to worry about that side of it yet. Obviously there's some really good teams over there, but until we get close down toward down through playoffs, until we are able to make a run through playoffs, there's no need to worry about the AL just yet. Totally. Um, so we're going to take a quick break for some sponsors on the flip side. However, we're going to look at the Cubs magic number with 10 games left to go. I think we can talk about some magic numbers pretty safely. And we're also going to be previewing a three game set against the twins, which will mark the last regular season homestand at Wrigley field. Um, But first a quick word from our sponsors. All right, we're back. So the twins are coming to Wrigley field for three games. That will be two night games on Friday and Saturday. Um, Actually three night games. The, it looks like the Sunday night game is a, uh, ESPN game. So get your bingo cards ready for that one. We haven't really done uh, ESPN Sunday night bingo this year. Andy, should we do bingo? I mean, for those people that can stomach it, then yes, absolutely. I just, <laughs> ESPN has not been, I don't know. I just, I have such a hard time with it. The bingo cards do help. They do help. Um, but there, most of the time I want to just watch it on ESPN and then turn on my radio feed so I can listen to Pat because it's just, it, it's a lot. It's a lot. <laughs> I'll think about it. We'll see how much time I have between now and that six o'clock game on Sunday. If you follow us on Twitter, you really like jazzed about us bringing back ESPN Sunday night bingo for that last home game. Let it, let us know on Twitter and we will definitely get you a bingo card. Um, the Cubs magic numbers as of right now are eight and four, which basically means they would need to win and or have some combination of other teams losing um, in order to clinch the division or to clinch a wild card berth. That is really a great place to be. I mean, the only team that's in a slightly better position is the Dodgers who have already clinched their wild card position. Um, and I believe their magic number for winning their division outright is at six. The Padres have been trying to chase them down. Yeah. I mean, this series feels really good looking at our probable pitchers going up against um, Minnesota. And it feels good because like, you know, that magic number is, yeah, it's strange. I know a lot of people have questioned why that number is still so high when we have so few games left. But the reason for that is because the Cardinals still have a ton of games left yeah. in just over a week. So um, they can, they do have the ability to, um, to, to, to gain games on, on the division. So, um, but going back to the probables, like I am really excited tonight to see Rich Hill pitch against us for some reason. I don't know what that reason is, but I just saw that and I was like, oh, this is going to be fun. So, yeah. So, I mean, and I love for us that we have Kyle Hendricks, Alec Mills and you Darvish going and you Darvish is definitely going to be that ESPN Sunday night game, which I happen to think is might be one of the reasons why they picked that up. But um, yeah, I mean, this is going to be a, this is going to be a good series. We we saw the um, the twins with some dramatics against the White Sox a couple games ago. So, you know, I mean, they're obviously a team that is 
very much in the hunt for a good solid playoff run. And, you know, as are we, and we want to keep our momentum going and we have the pitchers to do it this, this, um, this series. So yeah, I, I'm very excited to watch how this goes and, um, Hopefully we can continue to build on, what are we on now, a four-game winning streak? Yes, we are on a four-game winning streak. Let's see if we can keep it going. Uh, As Andy mentioned, Friday night's game will feature Rich Hill and Kyle Hendricks. I like that. I think that that is a throwback to the NLCS in 2016. And, you know, Rich Hill has actually always been a pitcher who's done well against this Cubs team. They sort of struggle against lefties who have a lot of, junk in their game. And I, that's not a slight to Rich Hill. He, he throws it. What I think fan graphs and like um, Brooks baseball call a curveball, but he's actually got like 11 varieties of it. So it's not the same pitch twice. He's super fun to watch. That's always kind of stymied some of the Cubs hitters. So it'll be interesting to see how they do against Rich Hill's breaking steps. And they know that's been a problem in the past. Saturday's matchup is Michael Pineda versus Alec Mills and the Sunday night matchup, which I love is, as Andy said, you Darvish going for the Cubs, but Jose Barrios going for the twins. And if those of you who watched the all-star game last year know that Jose Barrios is Javi Baez's brother-in-law, I believe. Um, So family matchup at Wrigley field on Sunday. Yeah. I mean, that'll be, I, I always love watching that. Like it was really fun this series against Cleveland to watch, him and Lindor, you know, interact. And I know a couple people that when we were on our um, virtual social media uh, game watch, a couple people joked that that would be the most amazing left side of the infield if we had Lindor and Baez. And I just like salivated at that. Like it was just like, can you even imagine? But you also like wonder what kind of circus tricks they would be coming up with because obviously they're very close. So um, yeah, it would be, that would be so fun to watch. Um, but yeah, so it'll be interesting to see if, if he interacts with Javi, which I'm sure he will, but obviously he's still going up against you Darvish. So kind of want to take that game serious. Always love watching Javi interact with friends, um, with people that he knows. He's just so, I wish I was his friend. You know what I mean? Like he's just so endearing. And like, even when you see him on the field and stuff, you just, as soon as you see that smile, you're like, oh. <laughs> I, I want to be the person he's smiling at. So yeah, to see him be playful and mess around on the field with people like I love that. So it'll be interesting to see that that interaction with those two. The Twins are currently in second place in the AL Central. They are three games behind the White Sox. So these are some pretty meaningful games for them. They have a 31 and 21 record. It looks like, however, the bulk of that record has been built up at home where they are 21 and 5. On the road, they are not quite as good. They are only 10 and 16. So here's hoping the Cubs can take advantage of that with a little bit of the friendly confines just doing their thing and keeping the Twins from heating up over these next three games. In terms of bats, however, I do just have to point out that over the last two weeks, the Minnesota Twins offense has been fire. And I was running these numbers and I, I always like go to Fangrass, do the last two weeks, sort by WRC plus. And usually there's like three or four guys who are hovering up over 140. Because that's generally how it works. You have three or four guys who are hot at one point in time. Okay, are you ready for the list of twins who have a WRC plus over 130 in the last two weeks, Andy? 
<sighs> okay, hit me with it. Byron Buxton, Ryan Jeffers, Lamonte Wade Jr. I, I hope I got that one right, buddy. I'm sorry. I have not heard, heard your name before, but I'm looking forward to seeing you play. Brett Rooker, Josh Donaldson, Nelson Cruz, and Eddie Rosario. <laughs> oh, my God. I was like, are you going to stop anytime soon? <laughs> now. Oh, my gosh. Admittedly, a couple of these guys are platoon players, so they don't have quite the plate appearances that some other guys have. So, so I, you're unlikely to see them all at the same time. But, like, the twins can mash y'all. <laughs> I mean. Bomba squad, too. Well, I was going to say, listen, well, we have the right pitchers this series to, to go against a lineup like that. So, I, you know, I, I'm really, I'm really looking forward to see how Alec Mills responds to um, his no hitter because this will be his first start after that. So it'll be interesting to see his approach on that. And, you know, if, if he's able to, to take his start deep into the late innings and, you know, hold down his opponent, I wonder because what, I mean, his pitch count was a little high for his, uh, complete game no hitter um but yeah I mean Kyle Hendricks is gonna Kyle Hendricks he's you know meticulous he's at home so these are all good things for cooling down any kind of decent lineup um and you Darvish I mean I don't really need to say anything else this season he's just been absolute nails so yeah I mean it is scary to hear that many good hitters in a lineup that you're about to face but I would have to guess that they're equally nervous to face the pitching that we have. So, um, you know, in our bullpen, we haven't even talked about them. Our bullpen has been, you know, pretty good too and, and pretty solid. And other than a couple blips by some people that don't blip, you know, I mean, we've been we've been pretty solid over the last few few games. Oh, totally. This is not to like poo-poo the Cubs' chances or anything. I was just kind of stunned <laughs> by the num- the sheer number of like bats that were hot in Minnesota. By the way, I have to one more like uh, shout out statistically to Byron Buxton, who, if you did not see it earlier this week, hit an inside the park home run that was just ridiculous and so fun. I think I heard when during the call that he had almost had an, another inside the park home run recently, and so they were like, "Oh, he finally got it!" And I was like, "What? You, what? What is this?" Byron Buxton has hit seven home runs in the last two weeks. He is currently slashing three thirty three, three thirty three, nine twenty three. Because that's what happens when you hit seven home runs in two weeks. So y'all can just like, well, I don't want to walk him because he is a stolen base threat. He's pretty fast. But can we just like not let Byron Buxton go yard 47 times? (laughs) How about we get him out? Because, yeah, this is definitely somebody that, you know, (laughs) you don't want to see mess with anybody on the mound. But he will if he gets on base. So definitely keep him off the base pass, period. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, The Cubs have four guys who are like doing some damage and I'm excited about it, but that's what you normally expect. They've got the same sort of like half of their lineup is producing, half of their lineup is struggling. One of the more interesting things that I noticed here, we'll talk about Wilson Contreras, who has been their hottest player by far in a second, is that two of the players that are actually doing really great right now are competing for playing time. So Jason Kipnis and Nico Horner are both on a little bit of a tear Kipnis is slashing 346, 357, 577 with a WRC plus of 142 over the last two weeks. Horner is slashing 368, 400, 474 with a WRC plus of 138 over the last two weeks. And those two guys don't generally play at the same time. So that is something to keep an eye on. It's also going to make me furious if I see, and look, I get it. He hit a home run off Josh Hader. I'll love him forever for it. But 
Bill DeMauro Vargas needs to stay on the bench <laughs> while Nico Horner and Jason Kipnis are both hot at second base. Like why, what, why are we doing this Vargas late innings replacement thing? Well, I agree with you there. And something else that is a, a little bit of concern to me, and I read this yesterday and I apologize. I don't remember who I read it from. Um, but I know it's not been said by just one person is um, David Ross's insistence that him keeping Chris Bryant at the top of the lineup is going to make him become the Chris Bryant that he used to be. And that's just not happening. And like, I've, I've tweeted this so many times that people are probably sick of seeing it, but you cannot continue to do the same thing over and over again and expect different results. Like you see how Javi is doing now down in the sixth spot, like leave him there. He's good. He's comfortable. He's producing, he's getting on base. He's got, you know, if that line, if the lineup swings around, you get back to the top of the order with him on base. I mean, that's almost a guaranteed RBI. So with Chris Bryant, like something's got to give there. You know, we have players that are hot that need to be towards the top of the lineup. And and Chris Bryant is not, he's just not doing the Chris Bryant things. And I don't know. I don't love that he just keeps him there like hoping that he's just going to like break himself out we're at a point in the season now where you know you cannot you can't work with what you wish you had I think is is probably the the best way to put it like obviously he's not the Chris Bryant that he's been in seasons past so like start to like treat him as he is playing you know what I mean and not that he's he's Chris Bryant I mean we know what's in there but it's just right now he's he's struggling. He's just not the player that we're used to seeing in, you know, a Chris Bryant uniform. So I just think that, you know, you, you have to come to some realization there. Um, the other thing that I absolutely am loving right now is the play that we're seeing from Cameron Maben. Um, he has been awesome. The diving catches in left field will never get old as long as he keeps catching them. Um, he's obviously very fast, so it's fun to watch him on the bases. He's just somebody that I'm glad it, he made sense at, at this particular point in the season to bring him in and to be productive on this team. And he's done well. I mean, he's been able to give Schwarber, you know, days off and he's done well in left. He's done well in center. He, we've seen him in right. Um, yeah, so I, I just, the, I thought it was worth mentioning. And of course, Jason Hayward is, he's just, he's been, pretty consistent, you know, and that's all that we can hope from him for the rest of the season. And, you know, even if not having his glove in, in right field, you know, there's no better choice there. So. Yeah. I think that Ian Happ has, has pretty much um, taken over the leadoff spot duties, although he's cooled off quite a bit too, but I, I agree with you that moving Chris Bryant down in the lineup while he's figuring out whatever he's figuring out seems like a reasonable idea. And I'm not trying to, yeah, look, I, I get it. These guys get comfortable where they are. I don't remember the last time Chris Bryant was hitting later in the Cubs lineup than second. But I also, he just has not looked the same this season. He His mechanics look a little bit off. Al wrote a piece a couple of weeks ago asking whether the, he has is still suffering some lingering effects of getting hit in the head um, a couple seasons ago at the plate. He sort of tracked the number since then. It's an interesting piece. You should go back and read it. I don't think it's that actually. I think his, I think his mechanics are just slightly off. The swing looks a little bit different than it has in previous years. And frankly, every time KB has looked like he's heating up, every time he starts to make some good hard contact, 
he injures himself in the field and then he takes a two week break and he comes back and he has to get it back together again. And so I think that that has been more of the problem than anything dealing with the approach since that terrible at bat when he was hit in the head with a fastball. Um, either way, we got to figure out something there. And I, I, I want Chris Bryant to resurge more than anybody here. I think that would be a huge boon to this Cubs lineup, but at the moment he hasn't quite had it for that matter. Uh, a few other guys haven't had it. Anthony Rizzo is struggling. Kyle Schwarber is struggling. One guy who is not struggling is Wilson Contreras. And I look, he gets on hot streaks and he is devastatingly good in those hot streaks. And he is on one right now. He's flashing 311, 407, 422 with a WRC plus of 131. He's not hitting the ball out of the park as much as you might expect from him, but he's hitting the ball really, really hard, and he, they're finally dropping for hits. So I'm having a blast watching Wilson do his thing right now. Oh, absolutely. And he is definitely somebody that you feel like kind of um, it rubs off on people around him. Um, it, You know, that hitting the ball out of the park, that will, that will come. I mean, you know, one pitcher is going to make one mistake to him, and it's going to be a 450 you know, abused ball. So it's somewhere in the, in the stadium. So I'm not worried about that part. I love that he's making such good hard contact and he's, you know, producing at now a level that we haven't seen from him yet. And, you know, I've said this, it's really nice to see when some guys are having off games or kind of, you know, cooling off that other guys are picking them up. So like you, yeah, Ian Happ has cooled off quite a bit, but you see other guys starting to heat up now. It would be fantastic if we could all just kind of find a, a level ground and like, you know, some consistency, but that's baseball and it's not going to happen, especially with this lineup. So um, it's really great to see Wilson though um, heat up quite a bit and hopefully he can figure out how to, to keep that rolling and, and stay, you know, on a consistent level with that and, and hopefully carry that into the playoffs. One of the things that I'm really interested for with this series and Andy, you're going to have to let me know what you think of this this is the Cubs' first real contender test in a while, right? Like, the Indians have been sort of scuffling. They are in contention in the AL Central, but they already were on a losing streak when they came into Chicago. They dealt with the COVID issues earlier this season where they had to send two of their top pitchers back down to the minors because they decided to just go out and hang out and play in Chicago, which was baffling. Um they have been sort of up and down, you know, their manager has been ill. I think they're basically being managed by Sandy Elmar right now. The, it, that didn't have the hallmarks of this is a playoff test series to me. I feel like the Twins does. The Twins are a team that are going to be in the playoffs. Um, for that matter, in a couple of uh, series, we're going to see the White Sox. They are another team that has that sort of like playoff test feel to it. This feels like the first real intense competitive test the Cubs have had in a while. I know that Cardinals games are always tough. They're always rivalry games. So that's intense in a different way, but it's just not, it's been a while since the Cubs have faced a team that was hot with a winning record. Oh, absolutely. And I agree a hundred percent. I think kind of, I had, I had marked this series and the series against the White Sox as two series to kind of look out for at the end of the season. And this is definitely one where, yeah, you know, my heart starts to race a little bit thinking about what could happen this series and what could not happen this series. So yeah, 100%, I agree with you. It's been a while since I've been nervous about facing a team. This is a team I definitely feel like 
will test our ability to compete with those playoff teams that we're going to be competing with. So yeah, I mean, it's going to be one to watch on a lot of different things. I mean, another thing that we have not spoken a whole lot about and because he has not had the ability or the opportunity to do it is David Ross managing in situations that are, you know, high stress situations where yes, this feels a lot like playoff baseball, treat it like playoff baseball. So it'll be interesting to see how he handles that, whether it be his approach with the bullpen or how he handles any kind of defensive substitutions or just, you know, how they handle approaches with the hitters that they're facing. So uh, it'll be something that you definitely want to keep your eye on all aspects of the game, especially I will be watching how David Ross manages because that's something that, you know, obviously you hope that he took something away from how it's gone the past couple seasons um, with our playoff appearances or lack thereof. So you want to see what his approach and how it will differ will be. And I hope that he treats these games as such because they're going to be the closest things we have until we actually hit that point. I am so here for seeing the Cubs in the playoffs again. I was at the wild card game in 2018 and it was just like such an up and down and racing type of situation. And then all of a sudden it was over and it just, the thing about 2018 that really struck me that I I still am not over is that the Cubs never got to celebrate in 2018. So they, they didn't celebrate clinching a playoff spot because they had just been to the championship series and they had just won a world series and it didn't feel like clinching a playoff spot was a thing they should celebrate. They were waiting to celebrate clinching the division and then the Brewers forced game 163 and then the Cubs didn't win game 163. So they didn't celebrate that. So they, they didn't celebrate at all. They haven't celebrated anything since that NLDS win in 2017. And I just want to see this team excited and having a good time again. We're not going to get to see a celebration, even if they win the division and get to and win the wild card series. Cause MLB has decided that there shouldn't be celebrations, which that's, that's a podcast for another day. We will absolutely be talking about the, in my opinion, ludicrous ban on alcohol and celebrations in MLB clubhouses for 2020. But I want this team to be happy. I want them to pile up on the mound and celebrate each other and know that they're going to the playoffs again. I think that they haven't had that for a few years and I just want to see it. You know, honestly, I hadn't even thought about it and I'm glad you mentioned it because when they celebrated that Alec Mills no hitter, like that gave us a taste of that. And I kind of watched that and I was like, God, I miss this. Like, it's so fun to have something that everybody on the team is happy about and celebrating and like to see them all jump around and, and act like kids. Like, it, that was just so fun. And like, I, I found myself getting a little bit emotional because it took me back to a place of like, all the cheering we got to do a, a couple years back. So it's like, yeah, absolutely. I miss that. And that is one of the most fun parts of watching the Chicago Cubs team was getting to watch them celebrate the times that they've celebrated. So yeah, absolutely. I would love to be able to see them do that. Um, it, it, it was, it was a very nice reminder on, on Sunday when Alec Mills had that no hitter, a very nice reminder of what we've had where we've been, what we've been able to celebrate watching this core group of players. It, it's, it, it was kind of a, you know, a kind of a wake up call. I think for me, especially because I was like, you get to the point where you're spoiled and you feel like it's going to be like this every season and you forget very easily what it feels like to not have a good team. 
And, and I want to just, you know, take a minute to remind myself every once in a while that yes, we are very lucky to get to watch the, the, the team that we get to watch. And it would be very nice to get to watch them celebrate. 100%. If the Cubs are celebrating during this series against Minnesota, we will have all of that information for you on the next episode of Cup of Cubby Blue. There are only three series left before the 2020 postseason. I cannot believe it's gone so fast. But we will be talking about all of the action from our Twitter accounts in the meantime. I am at BCB underscore Sarah. Andy is at BRYZ underscore Blue. We are both at Cup of Cubby Blue, where we are blasting all of the content related to the Cubs hunt to get to October and content from these episodes. Until next time.